You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Kush Parikh and Corey Johnson. Be sure to check us out weekly every Monday and Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds, that's K-N-O-W-S bleeds, on Instagram at the nosebleeds, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds podcast. That's K N O W S Bleeds. It's your boy. You already know it's your boy, Kush, and I'm here with my co host, as always, Mr. Corey Johnson. Corey, how are you doing today, my man? Yo, it's good to be back on the show. Uh, got a lot to talk about, man. Obviously, stuff going down in the NFL, COVID's going down in the NFL, but MLB playoffs are finally here, and I'm so excited to see what goes down. I'm excited to see what happens, and I'm just trying to see if we'll see any surprises like we saw with the NBA playoffs. Yeah, I mean, we got NFL in full swing. We got MLB playoffs. We got NBA finals. We got a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about in this episode, so strap in for a good time and you guys can't see him but mr Corey johnson got himself a fresh cut finally Corey, how long has it been since you got a haircut my guy hey since the end of 2019 maybe maybe things start damn going. it's been that long hey i didn't cut my hair because i was like uh 2020 i'm gonna just i'm gonna just 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 wait for something something to start going my way and so uh it's not to say like 2020 has been bad for me it's been good it's just i don't know like I guess ever since COVID, I really just hadn't been thinking about it. But like uh, recently, I was I was like, yeah, I gotta get that cut. So just went and I got it. Like he he looked like a new man. <laughs> feel like it too, really. Feel like it too. Feels good. A cut does wonders. Little, you're, you're gonna feel a little breeze up there. Oh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely for sure. All right, let's get into it. We got on this day, October. For, first of all, it's October. That's crazy. Pretty, pretty crazy. But October 1st, we're kicking it way, way, way back. 1903. It was the first baseball World Series game ever played. It was a Pittsburgh Pirates. They beat the Boston Americans 7-3. to The winning pitcher was Deacon Felipe. And the losing pitcher was Cy Young. Throwback right there. But since we're on the subject, let's talk about baseball. Because the baseball playoffs are here. I mean... It feels like that season was so, so short. I mean, it was about a third of the normal season. Or sorry, a fourth of the normal season, I should say. Um, And it was just – it just felt so short. Like, we were just getting the swing of things with baseball. We were seeing who's going up, who's going down. And then all of a sudden, season's over. We got playoffs. And now with this shortened season, we had the expanded playoffs. And um, they shifted from 16 MLB teams – to make the playoffs rather than the usual 10 teams to make the playoffs. And when you think about this in 1923, when Babe Ruth won his first world series with the Yankees, there were only 16 teams in the entire league. And now you look at it, there's 16 teams making the playoffs. So we've come a long way uh, with that, but this is very much like the NBA playoffs where the brackets are set in the beginning. So regardless of what seed wins in the first round, they'll be playing that same matchup in the second round. So basically the one and eight will play the four and five, the two and seven will play the three and six. So basically how the format's been going for the entire playoffs is first round, best of three, 
uh, with all the games played at the higher seeds uh, field. Second round is best of five. Championship series is best of seven. And the World Series is best of seven as well. So those last three series are pretty normal. But let's go into our predictions. I'll start off with an AL wild card. We got the Rays versus Blue Jays. You can argue that this is the Rays are the best team in American in the American League. One of the best well-rounded teams in the MLB. They have the hitting, they have the pitching, the fielding, and they have the coaching. And Kevin Cash, who might win AL Manager of the Year. I think Corey, you called that in the preseason, Mr. Kevin Cash. Um, yeah, I feel like the Rays they're they're a really good team as far as pitching. I did. And I'm sure a lot of people uh, probably didn't expect them to win the, the division, but I think it was more so down to the Yankees having just so many injuries, but they took full advantage of that. I mean, shortened season, um, you really can't allow, or you can't like just get hit with the injury bug like the Yankees did and the Rays, man, like they've always been a team that's had good pitching. It's just always been, I think the, the generating of runs, that's always been a, a, a I don't want to say a problem, but it's, it's been hit or miss. And, and they always kind of similarly remind me of uh, like those historic um, 2010 teams of, uh, for the, for the San Francisco giants who had like really good pitching, but you never really knew what you were going to get as far as hitting wise. Right. And I mean, the blue Jays, they're playing, they're playing the blue Jays and the blue Jays surprised me by even making the postseason. but they're such a young and promising team. I like what their future holds for them, but I just, think right now is not their time and uh, we saw that with the Rays winning game one convincingly off of Blake Snell's solid start and then the Rays, Rays won game two which I thought they would possibly drop just because of Hinjin Ryu but the complete opposite happened he couldn't even get through two innings and he allowed eight hits and three earned runs uh, Rays won the game eight to two and they'll be playing the winner of the Indians and Yankees series so let's talk about that series now like you said, Corey, Yankees injuries are the only things that can really beat the Yankees, and that's why they didn't win their division. But I mean, they're playing the Indians, and the Indians are one of the hottest teams in baseball right now. And they had the best pitcher in 2020 season. But I think the Yankees, when they're healthy enough, it, it's easy for them to make a World Series run. And right now, they're healthy en- enough to do that. Uh, in game one, we saw a pitcher's duel with. Garrett Cole and Shane Bieber and we thought it was going to be like probably a scoreless game going into the seventh inning but it was actually the opposite Garrett Cole had a solid start but the potential AL Cy Young in Shane Bieber got wrecked by this Yankees lineup and then we go to uh and then the Yankees won that game we go to game two and game two was an absolute slugfest finished late night Wednesday night and uh it was clear that the Indians were gonna force uh, a winner go home in, and they were going to force a game three, but Gio Oshella had other plans. He had a grand slam in the fourth to take the lead. And then it was a lot of just back and forth, back and forth between the two teams. The Yankees ended up prevailing and won the series. And this was actually funny when I was, I don't know if you caught this Corey or not, but a very questionable move made by the Indian sound operator at progressive field. He's playing Drake's laugh now, cry later immediately after the Indians had lost and got swept by the Yankees. But um, they'll be playing the Rays in a division matchup uh, in the AL Divisional Series. Corey, what was your take on the series? I think this series just dis- displayed the level of firepower that the Yankees have at their disposal. And it's really just crazy how we wonder, like, 
um, when we were making our initial predictions, how a team is going to be able to beat the Yankees and eliminate them out of the AL. And I think one of the things that you have to do is you have to make sure that your pitching is on point. And when you think about like Shane Bieber, as you said, like probably going to win the Cy Young this year, um, how he just got rocked up and coming into that game, you had the, the guy on the opposite end and uh, who, who, I, I've been saying has been pretty much the most dominant pitcher since maybe last season. And it's it's just crazy how the, how the roles kind of reverse because the whole entire season uh, Bieber has been dominant. And then the Yankees just have kind of looked meh, but, but in, in game one, I think that kind of set the tone game two credit to the Indians. They came back into it. They looked as if they were going to force a game three, but the Yankees, man, I just think that, like I said, their firepower were just able to get them over the hump, and they were just a little bit too much for Cleveland. And yet again, Cleveland just can't get can't do anything in an elation, in a, in a elimination game situation. I think they're like zero and ten now when it comes to elimination games. Yeah, I thought this was going to be the one that they actually won, but I mean, the Yankees persevered and they came back. Um, and it's crazy that the Yankees were. I mean, I, I think they were considered underdogs coming into this matchup, so it was kind of crazy to me. Let's move on. We got the Twins versus the Astros. I was going to say Twins. Uh, that was my prediction originally, but the Twins are just cursed in the postseason. Uh, first, let's talk about the Astros. Astros look bad this season compared to what we used to seeing, probably because they don't have trash cans to bang in the dugout anymore. But, I mean, the Twins – they're one of the worst postseason teams. I, I thought that was going to change this year. I thought that this was the year that they were going to finally break that curse. But lo and behold, that 16-game postseason losing streak, as they got swept, went to 18 games. And uh, the Astros moved on. They, they're they going to play the winner of the A's and the White Sox. But that that's what happens when, when you're the Twins and you only score two runs in two games. <laughs> So it's pretty crazy. I mean, the team that broke the record for the most home runs in a single season last year and then finished sixth in home runs this year only managed to score two runs versus the Astros. And that, and that was one of the reasons why I didn't have them winning the AL Central. I mean, they obviously did win this, uh, the division, but one of the things that made me kind of worry was their their pitching staff. And a lot of people were feeling kind of optimistic, you know, with them picking up Kenta Maeda from the Dodgers. But I was just like, I, I'm still not impressed. I'm still not seeing it. And look at the opposite end with the White Sox, who we'll get into a little bit uh, with their series. I mean, I just like that team all around. And I just feel like you look at them side by side. Yeah, offensively, you probably would get the nod maybe to the Twins. But as a whole all-around team from pitching to to hitting to the manager, I just think that the White Sox – give more threat in the postseason than the twins do. And that clearly was shown in, in that matchup. Then, I mean, the twins biggest concern coming into this series and the postseason in general was their pitching, but I think their pitching actually did a decent job on their end, especially their starters. But I mean, you, you hope that the offense will, you know, pick up the load for the decent pitching job that the twins did, but that was not the case. Let's get into the last AL wildcard matchup. We have the A's versus the White Sox. I mean, for the A's, no Matt Chapman. Not really a strong rotation. 
I my prediction was the White Sox. I didn't see the A's winning this round, but um, and you saw that in Game One, the White Sox can attack you offensively from any part of their order and their rotation i think is good enough to push them past the a's um they won the first game off of giolito's solid start who had a perfect game i think through six innings or five innings um and but the a's did bounce back in game two to force a winner go home and actually game two ended with a little drama um the white Sox were up to bat with bases loaded two outs down five to three with jose abreu who possibly is going to win the al mvp uh and he was at the plate and the a's somehow got out of it to win the game this is actually the only series in the american league heading to a winner go home and that game three is going to be thursday afternoon Corey, what's your take on this series it's been a very interesting series because the A's are no slouches. I mean, I feel like the White Sox are going to end up winning this series, but um, like I said, the A's are no slouches whatsoever. They've they've shown that um, all season long that they've been a really streaky kind of team. And I think one of the things that the White Sox have to do is just jump on the A's right away like they did in game one. They jumped on them right from the get-go, and the A's just really can never really get back into it playing from behind is always a is always a difficult one because you're expending so much energy trying to get back into the game and then you know it's hard to you know try to then go on and take the lead but they had a really good opportunity late game situation um in the ninth i was thinking that after they after the a's walked that run in that made it five three you know who knows maybe pass ball or something crazy happens make it five four all of a sudden that pressure's on. So, but uh, no kudos to the A's. And I think that uh, the White Sox are going to regroup. They're going to go ahead and get this uh, elimination game. They're going to move on. They're going to play the Astros and they're going to continue to be the team that I thought they were, (laughs) which was the team that was going to surprise and shake up the American league. Yeah. Well, the winner of this series will go on to play the Astros in the next series. Let's move on to the National League wild card. We'll start off with the Dodgers versus Brewers. Dodgers, I mean, that's my prediction. Don't really explain <laughs> this one. I mean, the Brewers, in in my opinion, the Brewers shouldn't be in the postseason just because I don't think they deserve to be in there. But mm. my, I'll give them credit because my team isn't, so I can't talk a lot of shit right now. Mm. But um, the only bad thing for the Dodgers is really that it's such a short series that if the Brewers miraculously take game two because the Dodgers won game one, if they miraculously take game one, they'll be on the ropes. And as we know, Dodgers are not good when their backs are against the wall. I, that That's probably not going to happen. But game two is on Thursday night, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be fun as far as this Dodgers team who can – They we, we, we all know they're one of the favorites alongside the Yankees coming into this season. Um, they've got the firepower. They've got Betts. They've got Bellinger. They've got Muncie. They've got – you know, all those guys within the, you know, and their pitching staff is not bad. It's just the bullpen has always kind of be, been a bit hit or miss, but I like Julio Urias in the bullpen. Dustin May is also a pretty good guy. Um, he's been he's been pretty good. Um, and I feel like the, 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 the one thing probably that most Dodger fans are probably concerned about is um, Kenley Jansen, but – for the most part, I think he's had a a decent season when you consider the fact of where he is at this stage of his career. His velocity and his cutter and his fastball are obviously not the same and not where they used to be. He and, got hot towards the end of the season. Oh, yeah. 
but like I'm just saying, like as like all around, like you know, he he's he is the, he is as a player not the same, which you know is just natural. But um, the one thing that I that you don't want to see is Kenley coming into a game and just creating trouble for himself and like walking guys and getting guys on base, and then all of a sudden the game that looked like it was supposed to be an easy you know three nothing win, all of a sudden three one three two. Three, three, you know, like you, you just want your closer to be relied on to come in one, two, three, shut that door and get that W. And I think that the Dodgers in game one had maybe some shaky moments, but overall, I think that they were for the most part comfortable. And then another thing that we also have to factor in is that there's no fans in the stands. Maybe if there were fans in the stands, maybe you could feel that energy. Maybe you could feel those. that uneasiness if it were from the fans you know with it being such a close game you you're expecting them to just destroy the brewers but there's no fans so i mean maybe the pressure is not as on as it was in years past so maybe that's one thing that is going in the dodgers favor that can uh, you know allow them the rest of the way no matter what team they come up against in the national league they can just be like yeah we're going to destroy these guys no matter what yeah and they're that if they win, they'll be playing the winner of the Padres Cardinals series. I have the Padres winning this series. I mean, I think there's a reason why Dodger fans are suddenly so loud about talking shit to the Padres because it it's the way the Padres played and looked this year. I think Dodgers are feeling threatened, and I mean they have the right to because the Padres looked amazing this year. But I like we said before the season even started. The Cardinals are not flashy in any way, but they are still solid and they will always find their way into the postseason and they will wreak havoc for opposing teams that are the favorites over them. And they happen to be up and coming teams. I mean, we saw that last year with the Braves when they upset the Braves. And then this year, I mean, the Padres are the favorites to win the series, but so far it's not looking good because they're down 0-1 against the Cardinals. But I mean, the Padres have two NL MVPs uh candidates in uh Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. But the big news was all the Mike Clevenger and Denton Lamette, two of their top starters are not even on the playoff rosters. And Chris Paddock took the mound game one and had a terrible, terrible start. Gave up eight hits, six earned runs in two and one third inning. So I mean other than that, the bullpen really held it down, but I think in game one the damage was already done against Paddock. And the Potters are going to have to bounce back game two, which is Thursday afternoon. Um, otherwise, they'll be heading home. Yeah, I think that uh, – and the interesting thing, too, when you talk about, like, Clevenger, um, the Padres went all in. They went all in for that guy. They, they went all in at the deadline when they were already one of the hottest teams, if not the hottest team this season, and the brightest spot – for uh for them has been just how they finally got everything clicking and got everything going and you know if it was 162 games maybe things would obviously be different but you know we are where we are and kudos to them for saying bleep it we're going for it and we're going to try and win a world series this year and worry about what happens in the future when it happens but as a consequence of that we might see the Padres if they get knocked out in this wild card series. It might be a case of wow, you gave up a whole lot just to get knocked out in the first round. And so, 
but I mean, they to their to their argument. I mean, they are playing the Cardinals and yeah, Cardinals yeah. Oh yeah, of course, of course, of course. But then on the same end, I mean, like you, like you say, you were one of the hottest teams all season. Even at your hottest, you still couldn't even take the division because you still had the Dodgers who were above you for majority of the season. So it's it's that's you know mentioning the 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 Padres and the Dodgers potential you know, rivalry that's brewing up in Cali is is real fun and, and it's exciting if it metastasizes. But I think the one thing that the Dodgers kind of have over the Padres is that they have a good farm system and they already have a team that's well-established and a culture that's well-established of winning. The Padres now are trying to establish that and going up against a team as the Cardinals that, again, have a history of winning and are used to making the playoffs and are expected to go deep in the playoffs every year is it's not an easy task. So even if the Padres somehow come back and win this series, which I don't think that they will, I think that the, the, the Cardinals will end up winning the series and close them out in the next game. Um, I think that San Diego, they got to come up against their, their rivals in the Dodgers and that's not going to be easy either. So they did a whole lot this season. It should be, you know, at, they deserve an attaboy but they're going to get sent home. If not this round, definitely next round. Well, I have them. I mean, we'll talk about next round, but I have them bouncing back and beating the Cardinals. Um, But then again, it is a Cardinals, like we said. Let's move on. We got the Cubs versus the Marlins. The Marlins, the Marlins, the Marlins. I think this is the been the most surprising team in this baseball season a team that was supposed to be the worst team in the mlb made the playoffs and not as a wild card team either they finished second in their division but unfortunately i think their cinderella story ends here the cubs good players the the cubs good players this year haven't played well chris bryant Chris Bryant. Their, their chris lesser bryant. players i should say <laughs> have played well which helped them into the postseason um in game one, Kyle Hendricks got to start, and he had a solid first six innings, but the offense did not help him out at all. They it's didn't been the story all season. Pretty much. And and then in the seventh inning, he got rocked by a three-run homer by Corey Dickerson, and the Marlins ended up winning game one. But I think the Cubs bounced back game two. They have you Darvish on the mound. Um, and Ooh. then the deciding game three, I, I'm going to give it to the Cubs. Even though I would love I'm, – I'm rooting for the Marlins. I really am. But I just don't think – I think their their story ends here and the Cubs will move on. And then also some scary, scary news was uh, Starling Marte. He's going to be out for the season. He was hit by a pitch on his hand. Turns out that he broke his pinky, so oh, he's going to be done. And that's a big, big blow for the Marlins because not only is he a good hitter, he's a great fielder as well too. So yeah. it's a tough blow for the Marlins. Big blow for sure. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Kush. I think that as much as I don't want to say it, I, I think the Cubs will – come back and they will be the Marlins, but um, they for sure got kind of a reality check in that first game. I think that the Cubs come off like that team that they have like this expectation of they're supposed to win after they won that 2016 world series, but they've kind of not like kept that same energy, kept that same momentum after, you know, winning that world series. I mean, you can say what you will, whether or not it's been injury or whether it's not, it's been the, you know, the manager or whatever, but this team, I think just isn't the same team. It doesn't have that same vibe that they had a few seasons ago. And Kyle Hendricks is amazing. 
he's a great pitcher. Uh, he's probably one of the best pitchers in the MLB right now, the way he's been dealing, especially these past couple seasons. But it's just the the time in and time out that this guy pitches, you know, shutout inning after shutout inning, and, and puts up zero after zero. But on the other end, he's getting zero after zero as far as offense. And that's just been the story of the Cubs season, where it's like when you expect Rizzo, Bryant, you expect their offense, Baez, you expect their offense to be there, but it's just not. And, you know, I, I'm just – I wouldn't be surprised if Miami closes them out because that would kind of be the the cherry on top of this season in which I, I feel like they're good, you know, but at the same time, this is one of the things that – I kind of wasn't shocked that if they got bounced out in the wild card, because it was just like, they kind of, they kind like I said, they just don't seem like that same team from 2016 and the Marlins, they, they, they have no expectations whatsoever. And they've been playing like, you know, they, they, they had that OKC vibe. Like if we lose, like, you know, we're supposed to lose, but if we win, it's like, Hey, like we did, we we surprised everybody. We we shocked everybody. No one even had the Marlins in the postseason, and so yeah. maybe I don't even know if their fans had them in the postseason. So did they even have fans. <laughs> I don't even know if they have fans. <laughs> no, but for real though, like they they've been a Cinderella story for sure. And if they were able to to knock off a team like the Cubs, it was in it was in some serious uh, waves across the league for sure. Yeah, I mean, like I said, rooting for the Marlins, and I think game two is going to be a hell of a matchup with you Darvish versus their stellar rookie in Sixto Sanchez. So, and, and we know, like, with you Darvish taking the mound, like, we've seen you Darvish in elimination games. He hasn't he, – he's had his blunders, and he's, he's, he's crapped the bed. So would I be shocked if you Darvish goes out first inning and gives up three, three, three runs right wow. out the gate? Wow. I, I w- I, no, I wouldn't. So – but – I mean, we'll see. The Cubs are going to we'll probably see. have to come back for sure. They're going to have to probably come back and play from, play from behind in order to win this uh, this game too. It'll be interesting, but the winner of that series will play against the Braves or the Red series. I have the Reds winning it. I think the Reds are going to surprise the league. I think they're going to surprise the league and beat the Braves. I think they're pitching both the rotation and their bullpen are good enough to make a run to even the – National League Championship Series. Not to I, mention, same have, here. Same here. I completely yeah. agree with you. And not not to mention, they have a lot a lot of power in that lineup as well. Too. Uh, this series is going to be a pitching battle, though. I think, which we saw in Game One. I mean, it's going to be a coin flip, but I think the coin lands on the Reds. But I mean, you saw in Game One, these teams made history by playing the most innings in one game without allowing a single run. And that was 11 innings heading into the 12th. There was no run scored. And that is just insane. The game went down to the 13th inning where the Reds had the bases loaded and only one out. And it looked like they were going to take the lead, finally get on the board, but they looked like the angels couldn't get runners in uh, scoring positions to score and couldn't bring anyone in. And in the bottom half of that inning, uh, who other than Freddie Friedman would hit the walk-off single? Uh, game two's on Thursday, early morning Thursday. It's 9 o'clock, uh, I think, Pacific time in the morning. So, with the Reds hoping to tie it or uh, they'll be heading home. But I think the Reds bounce back, and I think they take game three as well, too, and move on. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you on that one. I think that uh, – that 
I think that this series as a as a whole is a very just intriguing matchup of uh, two teams that have been on the cusp of uh, of making some noise and are now in the postseason coming up against each other. And it's kind of it's kind of like you know one team whoever I think comes out of this series has a good chance of getting to the NLCS, um, especially if it's the Reds, like you said. But, but man, the pitching was on point this game for sure. Trevor Bauer looked amazing, and so did Max Fried, too. And it's sad that both of these guys got no decisions, even though they pitched gems. Yeah, Trevor Bauer's a beast for sure. All right, so let's move on. We got the ALDS matchups. Uh, well, it's for sure going to be the Rays and Yankees since they did their job in the first round, swept them. I'm going to take the Yankees. I think. This should be the AL championship series matchup, but unfortunately we only see the best of a five series with this matchup. Um, I've been riding the Yankees train and I I have them winning it all, but I won't be surprised if the Rays pull it off and go to the ALCS. I mean, it's a very high possibility, but the, and, and they have had the Yankees numbers this year, especially Garrett Cole, especially Mr. G man Choi. He's been raking off of Garrett Cole. But I just think the Yankees have more players with playoff experience and that they'll get the job done in this series. Yeah, I think that the Yankees are going to take this series. But I would, like you said, I wouldn't be shocked if the Rays snuck them um, just because that pitching staff is dirty. And I think that when you consider the fact, like you said, you come up against a team that is a is a division rival, has, like you said, had their number all season. The one thing I will say, though, is like, the Yankees have been injured for majority of the season. So I would say they're completely healthy, but they're, they're more, they're more healthy than they've been, you know, for a majority of this season. So um, it'll be interesting to see now that they've got, you know, all their bats sort of back and they've got um, majority of their team. How are the Rays going to be able to handle them now? Because for the most part, they've been going up against a pretty much battered Yankee squad. And so now you kind of go have to come up against the entire beast that is New York. So um, I think that this is going to be a slugfest. I think it's probably going to go all the way down to a game five and have to get decided in an elimination game. But um, I, I, I just think that the Yankees are, are going to do it. I think that they're going to go to the ALCS. And um, it's not to say that the, the, the Rays are a, a bad team or even a worse team. By all accounts, you know, a lot of people would probably even say that the Rays are the better team. But I just think that the Yankees, it's just, it's just, I think that this year is different for them because this would be the time in which I would expect the Yankees to get eliminated in, in this position right here. All right, now let's move on to the other ALDS matchup. I had the Twins and White Sox, but now it's going to be Astros. And then depending on who wins the White Sox, A's, I have the A's. So, I mean, I have the White Sox. So let's just say Astros, White Sox. And one thing I'm going to say is the White Sox are not the twins. They're not going to fold, and their offense will punch you in the mouth. I mean, Granky and maybe Framber Valdez are their only solid starting pitching. And, I mean, their bullpen has been injured like crazy, and it's just a lot of young guys in that bullpen right now. And I just think that's not going to be able to get it done against this powerful offense in the White Sox. And, I mean – the White Sox had the fifth most runs by any team in the regular season. So I think that's going to carry over to the postseason if they beat the A's, which I think they will. And I think they're going to beat the Astros as well, too. I'll say this, though. If the Astros do, you know, advance to the ALCS, that would be an absolutely amazing uh, 
story to have the Yankees go up against the Astros in well, a already, rematch. You already heard. Uh, you already heard Carlos Correa. He's already running his mouth. Talk after they won the first series against the Twins. He's <laughs> talking about like, give us some credit, you know. <laughs> but it's like, really, like you guys deserve absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, nah, but I like this White Sox team. I said it from before the season even started. I think that they are just so dynamic with their lineup, but at the same time. Man, I was gassing up this team, but oof, Lucas Giolito has been unreal. Threw a no-hitter earlier this season. Even even probably predicted he would throw a no-hitter when he was playing MLB The Show with himself. Yeah. <laughs> that was crazy and ended up throwing a no-hitter in real life. That's awesome. But If you guys don't know what Corey's talking about, there's a video of Lucas Giolito basically saying that before every game, he pitches as himself in MLB The Show against the team he's going to play, and it gives him a good scouting report. <laughs> and apparently it works. So. <laughs> Must work, because the dude has been a Cy Young a candidate for me this year, absolutely. But um, Giolito at the helm, I think that the only thing, though, is obviously going up against a team that has had that playoff experience. They've had that, that you know, for better or worse, they've, they've had that championship pedigree. If you want to put an asterisk there, I guess you could. But, you know, the Astros, they, they know what it takes to win. They know what it takes in, in order to get over the hump. But I think that um, the White Sox, a team that back in the postseason after God knows how long, is ready to stay there and they're ready to make some noise. And I'm, I'm riding with them. I think that they will get to the ALCS. Um, like I said, it will be an interesting story either way for me because if the White Sox go on, I just keep on feeling vindicated because it's like, dang, I picked this team before. Nobody even said that they were going to, you know, make the playoffs, pick this team to go all the way, potentially maybe to the World Series. All they got to do is just knock off the Yankees. But uh, that would be crazy for me. But at the same time, like I said, if the Astros go to the ALCS, I ain't even going to be mad because it's just like Yankees, Astros, ALCS, chance to go back to the World Series. Still remember the reaction that – Chapman and the Yankees had after he gave up that that series ending Altuve home run and every single time I go back and watch it I just think like dang imagine if in that moment you would have told them like there was somebody banging a trash can yeah (laughs) they knew your pitch they knew your pitch before you even threw it (laughs) I think the Astros they could get a little confidence from that first series win because I'm gonna tell you right now the whole season they've had you know, every single fan in the MLB, you know, on their ass about this thing. And it, you saw it affect them for sure. And I think even in the, the, the series against the twins, I mean, they got lucky that their pitching was amazing and only around two runs in two games, but you could even see like Altuve didn't look the same. Uh, but I think that now that they kind of, it was a little hump. And I think now that they got over the hump, it could give them some sort of confidence and, uh, could potentially, I think, upset the White Sox. And just one last thing with the Astros. They've pretty much been like the Miami Heat uh, back when LeBron joined up with uh, Miami and, you know, D-Wade and Bosh and them. That's what the Astros have kind of been. They've been the pantomime villain throughout this entire COVID season, this shortened season. And the thing is, is like, I think they kind of lucked out because if this was 162 games and the fans were in the stands, the amount of abuse especially you're talking about, you know, guys out in the outfield might've gotten stuff thrown at them. And like, like, I'm just like, 
I'm sure they're happy that things are, you know, have not spiraled out of control and could have been way worse than they They literally are. got away with murder. Like, <laughs> they had no consequences, even if it was, like, official consequences <laughs> from the league or just, like, you know, backlashes or something. It, it, they just got away. Yeah, and I, and I think that if they were to, to go back, like I said, if they get back to the ALCS, if they dare even get back to the World Series, I'm like, man, that would just be, like – that would just be so so COVID. <laughs> that would just be such a COVID 2020. That would be just such a COVID 2020 type of uh, a year for the Astros to get back to the World Series and uh, piss everybody off in the process. Right. All right, let's move on to the National League uh, Divisional Round. We have Dodgers versus the Padres. Dodgers, I'm going to go with the Dodgers. Like the Raising Yankees, I think they should be the – NL championship series matchup that we see, but we only get five games of it. Um, Dodgers beat the Padres, I think, just because they edge out the Padres in every aspect of their roster. I think it's kind of like a little brother, big brother rivalry that we could be watching um, spark in our hands. Um, I wouldn't be entirely surprised if the Padres upset them, but I kind of would be at the same time. But I just think that the, the, the Dodgers just edge them out in every aspect, and I think that's what gives them the win. Yeah, it's kind of like how you were uh, talking about in the, the other episode about, like, in, I don't want to, like, fully compare it to this, but it's a similar sort of situation to the Lakers and the Clippers. Um, like, the Padres have kind of pr- pretty much been that little brother to the Dodgers for so long. And now that they're kind of, you know, starting to get that buzz about them, starting to feel like, you know, they could pop out their chest a little bit. They got, like you said, two MVP candidates, you know, Tatis Jr. Machado, and they're, they're, you know, they're playing good. They're playing, they're having like a great season. And if they were to, you know, match up against the Dodgers, I would love to see it just because I would love to see them, those teams, you know, that go back and forth with each other on a, on a regular go back and forth with each other in the postseason, And just to see the, the level of, of, of desperation that these teams would have to play in order to, to, to get past one another and would, you know, Dave Roberts may, maybe have like a, a blunder, a slip up in, in his decision making, which is no nothing new. Very, uh, I guess you could say Doc Rivers-esque. <laughs> but but, but uh, I just think that if they were to match up, I would go with the Dodgers. But if the Dodgers matched up with the Cardinals, I feel like that would be one of those matches Cardinals have had their number <laughs> yeah that's what I mean it's like especially Clayton Kershaw's number it's one of those matchups that kind of plague you in the back of your mind you know you know you should beat this team but all of a sudden when you don't beat them that you know that expectation versus reality thing starts to metastasize in your head and you're starting to wonder like what is what in the world is going on similar situation to how the Dodgers lost to the, the Nationals a year ago and I think that if that were to happen, I'm not saying that I believe wholeheartedly that the, the Cardinals would just mop the floor, but I wouldn't be shocked if the Cardinals got past the Dodgers in the DL in the NLDL and the NLDS, excuse me, uh, just because of the, the, the level of, of, of pressure that could come about them. But ultimately I think the Dodgers will get to the NLCS no matter who they come up against, just because I think they just have way too much firepower. Yeah. Let's talk about the other side of the NLDS Cubs versus Reds. If those two teams win, which I think we both have them, we both predicted they would win. Um, I just think the Cubs with 
the offensive struggles, like we mentioned before, uh, to battle against the Reds, it's not going to work. Uh, they'll have to rely heavily on their pitching in this series against the Reds if they do play, but I don't think they'll be able to come through to win an entire series just solely on their back. This will be a fun se- series because, I mean, they, these two teams don't like each other. We've seen Bauer and Rizzo go back and forth trash talking, but I think the Reds have the pitching advantage and possibly even the hitting advantage as well too, and that's why I say Reds. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that um, the Reds will probably just edge out the the Cubs in that situation. Um, Again, this is if both. Yeah, of this teams of course. Yeah, yeah. It's even this if they, based off our predictions. Yeah, yeah. Because I already I had the Reds making it to the NLCS um, going up against the Dodgers, um, but it's funny enough because if the Cubs were to make it to the NLCS, I feel like the Cubs would maybe be able to get past the Dodgers and go to the World Series. But that just depends on if they were able to get that far and if they, you know, how healthy were, they were and, you know, all that type of stuff. Just because even though, like I said, the Dodgers have the firepower, but coming up against a team like the Cubs, have that championship pedigree, they've been there, they faced the Dodgers in the postseason before, they know what that team likes to do. And when you have two teams that are very familiar with one another and they – uh they kind of have faced off against each other in postseasons previously in the past. Um, I think there's always that, that X factor that comes down to it. And when you have like a few new faces in, 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 in what the Dodgers kind of have, are they going to be able to step up? Because as far as postseason wise, historically Mookie Betts really hasn't been a really great postseason player. So would he be able to step up in that big moment? Would um, Kershaw be able to step up in that big moment and, and would the younger guys be able to step up in that big moment so that's just one of those situations where I think a veteran team like the Chicago Cubs maybe could oust the Dodgers in the NLCS but ultimately I think that um, the Dodgers or are, are I'll give them their credit they will go to the World Series if everything goes their way well, let's talk about the the two leagues uh, championship series. Let's talk about the ALCS. Uh, based off of our predictions, we had the Yankees versus White Sox. We all know that the postseason comes down to pitching, and the Yankees win this matchup uh, versus the, the White Sox when it comes to pitching. But I swear, I am hoping and praying to the baseball gods. This is an all-out slugfest between mm-hmm. these two teams because they, mm-hmm. they, it, it's definitely a possibility. But again, I won't be surprised if it's a pitching series here. And um, I think the Yankees finally, finally get over that hump, make the World Series once again, and uh, play the winner of the NLCS. Yeah, I, I said it before the season started that who is going to stop this team from getting to the World Series? Themselves. Now, it could it could be yeah we said that we said injuries and you know them just not playing well would prevent them from from getting there and so far injuries have not you know been in their favor I mean like we said guys are getting back into the lineup and they're as healthy as they possibly could be um, at the start of this postseason but there's two teams I feel like can get the Yankees the White Sox and the Rays. Rays, because of familiarity, breeds contempt, and they've, always, they've, they've gone back and forth with this team all season long. They know what they'd like to do. They know what they're about. And the White Sox, just because of the level of firepower. And like you said, if they come and get a slugfest with the Yankees and go back and forth, tit for tat, you know, each team is scoring runs in, in, in you know, damn near every inning, that would be entertaining to watch. And also, beyond entertaining to watch, that would also just be, you know, who can outscore who pretty much? 
And I think that when it comes down to it, when you look at offense, the Yankees just – how versatile they are. And I know it's, you know, not the answer that everybody the, – the, 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 the crazy prediction that everybody is expecting, but the Yankees are just, I feel, too versatile when they're at their best and they're at their healthiest. They're just way too versatile and they have way too many options that they can give you at any point in time – at any point in time, anybody can just get hot. And that's just way too dangerous of a team for me not to say I feel like they're going to the World Series. So I feel like the Yankees, like you said, they'll get over that hump, they'll finally get past all those demons, all those nightmares, all those what-ifs, and be able to finally get back to the World Series for the first time in a very, very long time for their standards. Let's talk about the National League Championship Series, Dodgers versus Reds based off of our predictions. I think the Reds' Cinderella story ends here, just short of the promised lands. The Dodgers are just too good to not make the World Series in my eyes. And if they don't, I, I can definitely see Dave Roberts being fired. Yeah, I would not this, be surprised. The leash is pretty much up if he doesn't get them. It's World Series or bust. We've been saying that all season. Pretty much. It's World I mean, that's what happens when you, no when you add an MVP to your team to already a stacked team. Exactly. I mean – some people have even like tried to like make comparisons with other sports of like, you know, Dodgers trying to stack the deck. They're trying to be, you know, almost the like Warriors. the Warriors yeah. <laughs> of the MLB. Uh, but, but Hey, I mean, the rich get richer. So, but I think, I think that this is going to be a pitcher's duel. And I think that the Dodgers bullpen edges out the reds, which allows the Dodgers to move on. Um, the Reds were my sleeper team this season. Yeah, and they made it this far. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, the fact that they just made it this far, if they do, it will be more than a success for them mm-hmm. if they can even make it to the National League Championship Series. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you. I mean, it's no secret, you know, both of the teams that we felt like, you know, really strongly about Kush with the Reds, me with the, the White Sox, we both have them in the Championship Series against the Juggernauts. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I just feel like the Reds, uh, I like the team. I like, you know, kind of seeing how they've grown and seeing how they've uh, developed as a team and gone through the ups and downs. And at one point, it looked like they might even not make it into the postseason, but they started to get into a groove and they started to, to really uh, uh, put some string some wins together. And I think that like you said, pitchers duel for sure. This is going to be one of those ones where if this does, you know, this matchup does come to, to fruition, the Dodgers are going to have to pull up their big boy pants and make sure that they're on point as far as not uh, not giving up the, their locations and just serving up meatballs. Because when we talk about, you know, offense, you know, like the Reds, you know, we talk about their pitching, but they, they, they got some sluggers on that team for sure. Mm-hmm. Joey Votto is, is going to just – Crush a ball. If you give them, yeah, if you give if you give these guys, you know, something to hit, they could crush it and take you yard for sure. All right. Well, I mean, mine and Corey's predictions have pretty much been similar the entire <laughs> time. So I mean, that only sets up the World Series matchups to be Dodgers versus Yankees. And I mean, I, if you're a baseball fan, this is what you're hoping for. You're, I mean, obviously you'd want your team in here, but if not your team, this is the matchup you want. This is what is going to get the ratings up. And I have the Yankees in seven and this happens. I'm going to stick with my preseason p- prediction. It was Dodgers Yankees. And I had the Yankees in seven. And even though the Dodgers who got Mookie and it could be the NL MVP, there's just th- their normal bats that they have relied on in the postseason time before 
have not been there this season. They have not been consistent this season. I mean, you look at Bellinger, you look at Max Muncy, you look at Jock Peterson. Those guys haven't really been able to display their power that we're used to seeing. And if it continues to to not be there, it's, especially in the World Series, I, I can't see them winning the World Series. And the Yankees, even though they aren't fully healthy, and there's just something in me that I think they're going to win it all this year. And um, – yeah, like I said, this is what the matchup everybody wants. I'm hoping I'm correct in the World Series matchup, and if I am, I'm gonna go Yankees in seven. Like I said, just just for controversy's sake, I would love to disagree with you, but I can't. I mean, the the thing that concerns me, there's two things that concern me about the Dodgers as far as if they make it to the World Series, um, and it, and their opponent is the New York Yankees. Dave Roberts and just how reliant they are on home runs. And, and, and I get it. Shakes the long ball. Home runs are sexy. Home runs is what everybody loves to see. But there's nothing wrong with, you know, base hit here, a double here, you know, a blooper here. You know, the the that stuff isn't, you know, highlight worthy. It's not going to get on no type of top 10 plays and nowhere. But you know, the little things in order to just get runs aboard, you got to just do what you got to do because it's, it's, it's playoffs. It's playoffs, man. It's, it's win or go home. So I think the Yankees, they like I said, they're just versatile in so many ways. People think that all the Yankees do is just hit home runs. That's not all they do. I mean, just look at DJ LeMahieu. Like, he's not notoriously a home run hitter, but the guy just does so many things well beyond his defensive prowess with the bat, the guy could get on base whenever he feels like it, whether it's even just working a walk. And I think the Dodgers have to, if they're wanting to be successful this postseason, they have to kind of take a page out of that book. They have to be willing to sacrifice, okay, we, we're, we're not getting the sort of, you know, home runs that we expect, or we're not getting, you know, the power that we expect to showcase. But if we're getting runs, who cares? Who cares? You shouldn't care about how you get them. Just get them. Like, get the runs and and be able to get your pitcher some run support. And I think when you have a pitcher like Walker Bueller and you have a pitcher like Clayton Kershaw, um, the thing is, is that I just, as far as the rotation, I'm just wondering if it's going to be a whole lot too top heavy. If it's going to be a whole lot of heavy reliance on Bueller, on, uh, on Kershaw. And how much of those two can you keep on riding and going with and, and, and how much of a toll is it going to take on your bullpen if you don't feel confident in the rest of your starting, uh, starting pitchers going forward? Because I know you have some young studs, but, you know, are you going to really throw out, you know, Dustin May or Julio Urias to start a game against Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton in, in, in the World Series? I mean, that's, that's tough. That's tough, but both of these teams are versatile. Both of these teams have depth. Both of these teams are deep as hell. But ultimately, I just think that Yankees are going to edge them out. And I think the Yankees return back to glory and they get that, they get yet another World Series title to that trophy cabinet. I think the only way the Dodgers win is if their bullpen is absolutely stellar, which is a possibility because mm-hmm. you look at you look at these matchups and they're pretty much even in all aspects of the game, except the bullpen in the preseason. I had given the bullpen to the Yankees but I mean now with how banged up the Yankees were throughout the season I mean multiple guys got going down with Tommy John Mm -hmm. and um the the Dodgers finding an absolute gem in Tony Gonsolin and then now and then getting Blake Trinan in the offseason 
it's, it's a possibility that the Dodgers win this. We're not saying that. That's why I have it in seven. But yeah, same here. I just think seven because I, f- I feel like it's just that close. But the the we saw in in the 2018 World Series against the Red Sox. One of the things that was so controversial, even take out the cheating scandal potentially with that. But one of the things that was so controversial was that Dave Roberts would not put his lefty hitters because matchup wise, you know, it just didn't make sense. But here you have a team with the Dodgers that their offense was being generated by lefties. So it's like, how much of a decision do you have to, like, how, how, how do you blur the lines between, okay, statistically, yes, the numbers say this, the analytics say this, but me as a manager, me as someone who's played the game of baseball, you kind of have to just throw out that out the window and be like, I got to put the best players that put me in the best position to win on the field and in the lineup. So I'm just curious about the decision-making of Dave Roberts and if, if his decision-making similarly to Doc Rivers could potentially cost the Dodgers a World Series. We'll see. It will be interesting. All right, let's move on. We got the NFL. Week three came and went. We got some week three takeaways. Let's start off with Russell Wilson and Josh Allen and their MVP cases. I mean, you look at Russell Wilson, undefeated, Breaks the record for most touchdowns of the first three games in NFL history with 14 touchdowns. Should have been 15 if Doofus <laughs> DK knew the field was 100 <laughs> yards instead of 97 yards. Oh, man. Um, and then he should also have zero interceptions if Greg Olson didn't have feet for hands and <laughs> caught the ball. Um, so if his teammates weren't idiots, his stats would probably look like 1,000 yards, 15 touchdowns, and zero interceptions through three games, which is almost unheard of. Um, but now he's hitting at 925 yards, 14 touchdowns, and one interception, which is still flabbergasting. So, I mean, he's still killing the game. Uh, and then you have Josh Allen, undefeated, over 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns, one interception. You could argue if it really was an interception. And here's the crazy part. He came into the league with the strongest arm we've seen. And But his accuracy was always the big question mark. But this season, he's proving all his doubters wrong, and he's completing 71% of his passes this season. And I think on top of that, the guy's 6'5", 240 uh, quarterback, and he's making plays with his feet looking like Marshawn Lynch or George Kittle out there with his power running. So Yeah, he was hitting that truck stick way too hard. <laughs> way too saying. hard. And then, I mean, the, the only cause for concern was how stagnant the Bills' offense looked against the second half in the Rams when they came down from Falcons fans. Close your ears. But – um if you don't want PTSD, but they were up 28 to three, but Josh Allen showed his poise and led the team back to throw the game winning touchdown with 20 seconds left. So, I mean, those two guys are killing the game right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think that coming into the season, there was a lot of talk of like, man, Russell Wilson's so underrated. And a lot of people don't, you know, they, I think he's just, I think what it is is people forget about Russell Wilson. It's not, I don't think he's underrated. It's just people forget that he's so damn good. And they forget about the fact that, like, they, as much as we want to talk about Mahomes or Lamar Jackson, and, uh, you know, we want to talk about all the different quarterbacks who are up and coming, he's kind of a quarterback that kind of gets slept on. But at the same time, I think people still realize, like, he's good. But the fact that he's played at MVP caliber level and still with what I think is a average to a slightly above average offense, he he's still showcasing his talents. And I just think that as he 
continues to play well, he will continue to elevate his teammates and make them better and make them feel more comfortable. And maybe D- he'll be like, hey, DK, remember to hold on to the ball next time, bro. <laughs> you know, just just th- th- that type of stuff. He's very much a well-liked uh, guy as far as a guy you would love to have in the locker room just because he's going to make his teammates feel comfortable. He's not going to, you know, necessarily be the guy who gets in your face. But at the same time, he, he, he's, he's a guy who you want to have because he's, he's never going to allow you to get too down about yourself or too high about yourself. He's always that person that knows how to keep things in the right perspective. And as far as Josh Allen goes, I think the level of growth and maturity that has come from this young man has been staggering and almost befuddling when you consider the fact that by most accounts, he was considered as the worst top quarterback pick of his draft class. You know, everybody was gassing up Sam Darnold. Everybody was gassing up Baker Mayfield. And, every, you know, people were saying that uh, Lamar Jackson. Josh Rosen. Yeah, yeah, Josh Rosen as well. So I think one of the things also that we have to take into consideration is um, he was put in a right situation in Buffalo, which sounds so interesting to say because Buffalo really just hasn't had – you know, this level of quarterback play and how, how, I don't know how long, but the organization has really put their arms around him. They've really surrounded him with a lot of talent to play with. They, they've really showed that, Hey, you're our guy, you are a franchise player and we're not going to allow you to, you know, go out week after week and get your head, you know, taken off like with Sam Darnold in the jets. So, um, I think Josh Allen has been finally – he's starting to get embraced. He's starting to get embraced not only just by the organization but by the fan base, and he's starting to now get embraced by NFL fans. They're starting to slowly but surely start to look at um, him as a quarterback and say, that guy is a, is a good quarterback. That guy is an above-average quarterback. That guy is teeter-tartering, and if he continues to play like this all season and leads the Buffalo Bills to uh, AFC East – title uh maybe some people start to say that that guy is uh you know maybe a top 15 quarterback in the nfl i mean right now so far he's been playing like he he he's an mvp so yeah we'll see all right next up we have the fly eagles fly or the die eagles die because i mean these eagles can never be consistent they made the playoffs last year shouldn't have because that division is so damn shitty that's the only reason why they did (laughs) and i mean now they're looking like one of the worst teams in the nfl this year they lost to the washington football team after second half meltdown lost to the rams and then tied to the Bengals. first of all Corey jinxed the tie i remember he said i haven't seen a tie in a minute and he jinxed it i said like because we were doing our predictions and I said, it was hard for me to do these predictions because some of these, like I could have had some of these games throughout these weeks being a tie. I don't know if I had this game being a tie when I was making the predictions that I would have to, to go back and, and, you know, do some research on that. But there were some games throughout the season where I was like, there's probably going to be a tie in the first opening weeks. And usually you see it in like week one or like week two or something like that. But I mean, Hey, I would have never really expected the Eagles to have gotten a tie against the Bengals of all teams. But, hey, here we are in 2020 where the Eagles, a team that did win a Super Bowl not too long ago, are tying, Nick. Nick. <laughs> are tying against 
a team that just had the number one overall draft pick. So I don't know if it's much as to say that – what do you think, Kush? Is it is it Eagles just totally bad, or did the Bengals maybe show that, hey, we're, we're, we're a bad team, but they, they, they've shown some flashes with Burrow, I think. Burrow has well, definitely I mean, shown some flashes. I mean, I mean, the fact that, yeah, like you just said, the Bengals are a bad team, and for the Eagles to have – been on their level is just not a good look for them and honestly if you're an Eagles fan look away now but their next three games are at the 49ers at the Steelers and at home on uh our home against the Ravens so this team could very well go 0-5-1 in the first six weeks of the season and I just that's just all bad all bad if and- that happens Doug Peterson you keeping you firing what's the situation with that I mean he like I said well they did just I, win, I, they did win a Super Bowl not too long ago. And I mean, winning their first Super Bowl in franchise history, not no even. So I think he still holds some level of clout to where you can't fire him, even if they have a bad season this season. And I think you kind of, you know, throw your hands up and say, like, hey, 2020, it's been a bad year. It's been a bad year for a lot of people. So uh I think you kind of just give him that leeway of this being a bad season. I know the Eagles have a high expectation. I know the Eagles fans want to get back to, you know, Super Bowl glory and and win another title. But I think you have to give Doug Peterson just a little bit of leeway. And if this spills over into next year, then obviously, I mean, yeah, go ahead and fire him. But I think it would be too much of jumping the gun, even if they're 0-5-1, like you said. Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, even though his play calling has been a little sus this season. Oh, completely. Completely. This this team has been – plagued with problems i mean first of all you look at their old lines injury after injury after injury their linebackers have been god-awful this year for some reason and i think the main problem is carson wentz he just looks absolutely terrible he has six interceptions through his first three games this season and last season he only threw a total of seven and these interceptions have been on easy throws too and he just can't make them and when he does make the good throws it's to his receivers that are usually about to get decapitated by the defense just because <laughs> Wentz puts them in terrible, terrible positions. I mean, you see Jalen Rager, their first round pick already on the IR because <laughs> this guy Wentz is literally trying to get him murdered with some of the passes he's throwing to him. And I think the only really bright spot you can take from the Eagles is Miles Sanders. He may be the only one, but when you're down, you can only give the ball to <laughs> running back so, so much. much. So <laughs> I, I just think, it's not looking good for the Eagles. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, not a good year for Philly. Uh, but when you look at it as a whole, I think that this this was supposed to be a year where I think Carson Wentz was supposed to show his growth and finally prove the doubters wrong. And he's kind of doing the opposite. He's kind of showing the reason that a lot of people say, oh, the only reason that the Eagles, you know, one was because Carson Wentz wasn't there, which I don't think is fully like you know fair because he was playing at MVP level that year. So it's not a bad argument, though. You know, but hey, not a bad it's argument. not a bad argument because you know since he's sort of been like the definitive number one numero uno at quarterback, things have not gone well for Philadelphia since they let Nick Foles go, and it's just so crazy. Like he was a backup quarterback. Nick Foles was a backup quarterback. And he led them to a Super Bowl. And the team had an MVP, and he got injured. And he's come back, and he's just never been the same. 
and and we talk about like the old line and we talk about you know the receivers dropping balls and Wentz missing throws but part of me wonders of do you do you sort of have to blame the the fact that he doesn't have a good old line to protect him in order for him to have time to you know make the perfect uh, the the proper reads or is it just the fact that he's regressed so bad that he, <laughs> Wentz is just I think he's scared I think he's scared to get hurt I think he's scared I, I, to get I think hurt. that's a yeah that's a very valid reason but to be honest in the AFC or sorry with the NFC East I just think that literally no winning record in that in that division right now i mean the washington football team are in the lead for that division one and two baby (laughs) one and two tied with the cowboys but i yeah i just think with how shitty this division is and how like their o-line hasn't been playing well carson wentz hasn't been playing well i think you don't have to necessarily press the panic button as of yet but like I said, these next three games against the 49ers, Steelers, and Ravens, which are all are all very, 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 very losable games. Um, I think then you maybe start pressing the panic button and you start to think, what what's what, what's the move now? Yeah, because at that point, you gotta maybe start thinking about tank for Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> man, man, hey, would that They're be the? Would, that. They, they I, know, gave, I know, I know, I know. They gave they gave Carson Wentz like you know some money, but. I think one of the, the reasons why they went out and got Jalen Hurts was they don't the fully fire. They don't. They were trying to maybe light a fire under him, um, similar to the, the situation in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. And boy, did that ever light a fire under Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> Jesus. But but uh, I, I think that 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 put a whole lot of pressure on Carson Wentz, and it kind of showed like Philly doesn't. Like we were talking about with Josh Allen, how he's being embraced with that organization in Buffalo. I don't think that Philly has really embraced Carson Wentz because, like you said, Nick Foles won them that Super Bowl. It's like people like don't even mention the fact that Carson Wentz was playing well that season before he got hurt. They just mm-hmm. everybody just, just just points to the guy who was in the Super Bowl, got them to the Super Bowl, and that was Nick Foles. And I, I think just talk that, about him like that because he was on my fantasy team that year. <laughs> almost got me to the promised land. And I think and I think that that that's that's unfortunate because it's like the dude, like we said, and and a lot of people were thinking that he was going to turn into something serious, and he was looking like he was about to become a serious uh, quarterback in this league, but. And then you draft Jalen Hurts, and I just think that that showed to me the level of trust probably just isn't there. And maybe they were trying to light a fire on him, and I know they paid him, but at the same time, I just don't know if the organization, the fans love Carson Wentz right now as much as Buffalo loves Josh Allen. Right. All right, let's move on. We got some bad, bad news in the NFL, and that was – the Titans, four players and five team personnel members tested positive for COVID-19 two days after they played the Minnesota Vikings. Luckily for the Vikings, they had zero positive tests after this came out, but they did have to shut their facilities down on Tuesday. And uh, due to the positive cases uh, in the Titans organization, the NFL has postponed their game on Sunday versus the Steelers to either Monday or Tuesday. So, I mean, the NFL said that, the new time and date will be announced ASAP. And they said adding the postponement will quote, allow additional time to further daily 
COVID-19 testing and to ensure the healthy and safety of players, coaches, and game day personnel, end quote. The main players affected by this were, uh, or by the positive tests were nose tackle Daquan Jones and Ed Rusher, Kamala Correa. But other than that, it was no offense, but it wasn't, it was nobody's that got the, it was a long snapper, I believe. And it was a practice squad player. Um, Mm. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on the Titans and this whole COVID situation? Uh, COVID-19 was always going to be a storyline coming into the season. And it's going to be a continuous storyline throughout the season. One of the things we even mentioned on this podcast um, was how were the NFL going to deal with stuff like this potentially happening where a team is getting ready to play on Sunday and then they get a positive testing. So um, credit to the NFL for jumping on this early credit to them for shutting down the facilities and credit to them for, uh, you know, not trying to sweep this under the rug or anything like that. Um, But, but I think the, the worrying thing, for the continuation of the season is the, the, the potentiality of, 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 of not having players get enough recovery time. And how are you going to play enough? You postpone the game, you know, for Sunday. And then you say like, Oh, we're going to move it to a later day. It could be Tuesday. It could be Monday. And it's just like, fair enough. Good that they're moving it, but is that enough time for, and, 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 just just putting in perspective, not only are the facilities shut down, like the players can't even have in-person activities. So everything they have to do, game planning, prepping, all that stuff is via Zoom or remotely. And it's like, how do you how are you able to really game plan for a team when you can't even have any physical contact? So it's like you can't really you can prep all you want but it's not the same thing as being in person which is one of the 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 things that I think doesn't even take somebody who plays football to understand that in-person contact is way way different compared to virtually and I just think that depending on where things go from here the NFL kind of has to be a little bit more proactive Credit to them for the finding of the coaches for not wearing masks and credit to them for coming down, you know, hard on that and making sure that everybody is following procedures as best as possibly they can. But, you know, human beings are going to be human beings. I mean, you can't control where guys go. You can't control where, what guys do. You can't control what people uh, are, are, are exposing themselves to. And one of the advantages of, you know, other sports like the NBA and very soon uh, MLB and also the NHL was the fact that they were being played in a bubble. Now, granted, they were already, you know, the NHL and the and NBA were already in their postseason at the time, so they were able to have a select group of people. But I don't know, man. If this is not going away anytime soon, then I think retroactively speaking – we have to start thinking of a way as far as uh, these leagues of how they're going to start operating. And if they're going to continue to operate, they have to, to, to figure something out that best makes it so that people are not exposing themselves to this deadly disease that even if you get it and it goes away, 
the aftermath, we don't know the ratifications of, of having it because people are still having, uh, experiencing symptoms, even though they've tested negative for COVID. So it's just, it's just a very concerning and a very, uh, crazy situation for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we'll see when that game, if it even is played, which I think it will be, but we'll see when, when it gets postponed to. All right, let's talk about our week three game of the week. We had the Chiefs versus the Ravens on Monday night. Twitter said 55% Chiefs, 45% Ravens. And Chiefs won the game in convincing fashion. Puts Corey 2-0, Twitter at 1-1, and Kush at 0-2. So it's not looking It's early, good. though. It's early, though. It's it is early. early. Let's talk a little bit about this game. I mean, for me, biggest takeaway, Ravens look like shit. Chiefs look like Super Bowl champs. Pretty much sums it up. Uh, for the Chiefs, it, Mahomes showed that there is a gap between him and Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy Reid's offense is merely unstoppable because almost every play he, he gives Mahomes three different options: a handoff, a screen pass, <laughs> or a shot downfield. And it's just like <laughs> I was just literally thinking. I was like, as a linebacker, especially a rookie linebacker like Patrick Queen, who came into mm-hmm. the league, like how like what your head must be going a million miles an hour trying to figure out how the hell the game plan for what do i do yeah (laughs) where do i go and uh i mean the the chiefs defense made the ravens offensive line look foolish like not good at all and then mahomes just has so many damn weapons when your wide receiver who ran a 4-4 and and they're considered the slower receiver on your team and sammy (laughs) Watkins, like damn you have some speed on your team and then, I mean, my main takeaways from the Ravens was offensively, Lamar Jackson missed some key passes, but the key passes he did make, his receivers dropped them. I mean, Hollywood Brown had two drops. Mark Andrews had three drops, including a touchdown. And those are your top two targets right there. Um, and then similar thing really that happened against the Titans. They got down early and they panicked and they started pass going pass heavy when they should have just ran the ball, which they did for one drive, but ended in a field goal only. Um in my opinion, I thought Harbaugh should have gone for it on fourth and second inside the red zone on their first drive. And we all know Harbaugh loves to go for it on fourth down. And I think if the Ravens convert that and they score, that changes the whole game. And um, my biggest thing is Don Martindale, one of the best defense coordinators in the league, had a terrible game plan for the Chiefs. He had Marcus Peters matched up with Tyreek Hill multiple times. And I said, Monday Night Football, Rams and the Chiefs, Tyreek Hill torched Marcus Peters and he had his best corner in Marlon Humphreys blitzing. I mean, I get he's trying to be creative with his blitzes because he saw that's what really held the the charges in the game with the Chiefs. But I mean, I conde- I, I commend him for doing that, but it didn't work. The Ravens had zero sacks in that game. Zero. So I mean, Tyreek was looking at Marcus Peters and just saying, barbecue chicken, barbecue chicken. And there was that Come one. Give me that rock. There was that one dime by Patrick Mahomes to Tyreek Hill, which, I mean, I'm just like, it did, my, my jaw just fell to the ground. Just like, that is a dime. Yeah. And, and like you said, this game did show there is a gap in quality between the two quarterbacks. But, this game, to me, beyond just praise I have for the Chiefs, this is one of the reasons that kind of made me nervous going into the season for the Baltimore Ravens, coming off what was by far a tremendous, astounding season from both Lamar Jackson 
and the Baltimore Ravens. This is one of the reasons why I was so heavily concerned about them was because if a team, yes, granted, Super Bowl champions, the Chiefs did this, what will the other teams in the league do? And and will they kind of similarly try to follow the blueprint of the Chiefs defense and try to more so force Lamar Jackson to have to be more of a pocket passing throwing quarterback and have to more so rely on his arm and lesser of his legs. And if you kind of can, I don't want to, because you can't stop him, right? Like you can't stop him. You can't stop a great player, but if you can force him into playing more so into, I don't want to say his weakness, but the lesser of his strengths, then you, you more so take that. It, might, it reminds me when LeBron was first still in the league, his early stages of the league, he wasn't a renowned jump shooter, but one of the scouting reports about him was force him to be a jump shooter. It's like, if you, you more so will live with LeBron taking shots on the perimeter than him driving into the lane and trying to dunk on you. Cause that's a 99.9% chance he's going to score that versus him taking a three, which is a more so a lower percentage shot. So on the same token, I'd much rather, as a defense, force Lamar Jackson to beat me with his arm and show me he can beat me with his arm than him getting outside the pocket and creating plays with his legs. Yeah, and I mean, Corey, I remember you asked me this last episode, and you basically said, will this game make the winner look better or the loser look bad? And I stand by my statement. I I said the winners are going to look bitter, and I think they're just on a different level than the top teams in the NFL right now, and I just think – the Ravens can't panic as much. If anything, this is a good loss for them because they can of kind course. of go back because to the drawing a, board. And, 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 and then also, this is a potential AFC championship matchup. I mean, you, you as, a, as a Ravens fan, and if you are the Ravens, you're hoping we're going to see this team again. And if we see this team again, we're hoping that the mistakes we made early on this season, we correct them, we make the adjustments to them, and we force Mahomes – into an uncomfortable position versus our quarterback being uncomfortable. I think it's that's the biggest thing. I think that I don't really recall a time in which in that game where Mahomes really felt uncomfortable. Mm-mm. I mean, we've seen him uncomfortable, and then even still, he's come out on top and being able to come back. Like, the entire postseason run was nothing but comeback after comeback after comeback after comeback. So one of the things also in that same token we saw in last year's postseason is that when the Ravens get down and you got to put that trust in Lamar Jackson to kind of dig them out. It's all, it's a difficult, it's a difficult one. And, and it's, again, it's not saying Lamar Jackson is bad. It's not saying that he's terrible. I mean, dude won an MVP. The dude is, is in the upper echelons in my opinion. He's, he is a certified G. I think he is a good quarterback. The scary thing for me is, are, like I said, are other teams going to be looking at this and being like, okay, we're going to, we're going to try to similarly try to duplicate that similar game plan that the Chiefs had, and we're going to try to force Lamar Jackson to be uncomfortable, thus forcing the offense of the Ravens to not be as dangerous and as versatile. I mean, we could be talking about a whole different game if it wasn't for the mess-ups because – yeah, we talk about how they were with the Titans and how they just got pass heavy. But I mean, they credit to Greg Roman. He didn't do that as much when they were down 24 to 10. He drove the ball down the field off the basis of his run game. And then he hit Mark Andrews in the end zone, which Mark Andrews happened to drop. If he catches that, 
it's 24 to 17 at that point. Mm -hmm. And then the Mm -hmm. Ravens get uh, a fourth and two stopped and it was a turnover on down on midfield. Then they came down to score that possession as well, too. You have a 24, 24 Mm -hmm. ball game. It's a brand new ball Mm -hmm. game. And we could be talking Mm -hmm. about a completely different game right now and an outcome. So, I mean, it's just little, little I mean, the gap is there's a gap, but it's not like because some people are saying like the gap is huge between these two teams. I don't think the gap is as huge as people will say, but it's just the difference I think is whether or not the reaction to this loss. You know what I mean? Like if the Ravens have like just start to just not to play to the level of their competition and they just like allow themselves to get in their own head over this loss and they just, you know, so much become concerned about Chiefs, 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 instead of focusing on the team that's in front of them. That, that in turn could lead to a downward spiral, which I don't think will necessarily happen. It's just one of the concerns I've had for the Ravens coming into this season is that hangover of them having such a dominant regular season a year ago. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they play the rest of the season now. I still have confidence in them. I, I still think you're crazy for not having them in the postseason. But... I'm crazy. I am crazy. I am crazy. But – I'm just curious to see, and I'm hopefully I'm hoping that I'm wrong. But I'm hoping to. <laughs> but, if, but if I am right, I'm going to be like I, I don't know how that happened, but it did. <laughs> All right, let's move on. We got the NBA finals. They're finally here. It's been almost an entire year since the NBA even started. And now we're looking at the end of the season. It's finally here. It's been a hell of a season. We went from a normal season with 30 teams to a 22-team bubble in July to a two teams battling out in October. A, a roller coaster of a ride of a season, I should say. It's been a hell of a season. And then we got the draft like coming up soon too. I mean, yeah. like <laughs> I think that's like in crazy. or something. These... Yeah, there's a lot going on. It's gonna be. I think. I think this. This postseason is going to have some heavy ripple effects obviously into the offseason as far as like free agency and uh the draft but this postseason could also be defining as far as um historically when we you know look years back on it as far as what went down in the nba bubble because there, there was a lot that happened on the road to this point mm-hmm. that is just when you think about the the fact that so many times we almost didn't get to this point, like the season could have been canceled at several different points. So just the fact that we have an NBA finals is remarkable in itself, I think. And then number two, the teams that we're getting one, you know, I think consensusly a lot of people expected the other, I think a small majority of people probably said, but it's not to say that nobody expected the heat to be here. It's just, it felt so unlikely when you had the Raptors, the the Bucks, and even the Celtics more so being the the favorites to get here. The thing that I never really thought about with the Heat was they would as how how much of a cohesive unit they are. I, I just never put that into consideration of how important that would be going into the playoffs and them being able to knock off a team like the Bucks which I think the Antetokounmpo injury, yes, played a slight role in that series, but did it play a role in them getting eliminated? No, because even if I think Giannis is fully healthy, I think they still lose that series just because the way that they were able to key in on him and kind of sort of force him to have to make 
somebody else beat them like a Chris Middleton, which is, was the only way that the, the Milwaukee was able to get a win was because of Middleton. But overall, the Heat played such a unbelievable defensive, uh, had a, such a great game plan in that series that it kind of set the blueprint for them to get to the NBA finals. They made their head, uh, they, they, made their name off of defense, intensity, and grit, and it's pretty much been their identity. Like, Jimmy Butler is the head of that snake, and that's all those things I named off is all defining of Jimmy Butler, and that's all dripping on this Heat team for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about their road to the finals. I mean, you mentioned a little bit about the Heat, but coming into the season, they were plus 6,000 to win the NBA finals, <laughs> and I was tied for the 14th best odds. And here they are in the biggest stage of the sport, and – a possible upset isn't wasn't far-fetched uh coming into this series so and and like you said there's there's so many players that came into this team jimmy butler tyler hero iggy jay crowder kendrick nunn kelly olenic like all these guys are new to the team and we talk about the teams that we're putting together in the offseason and them struggling but we like we forget about the miami heat who were on that same boat but it just doesn't seem like it. it seems like this team has been a cohesive unit they've been doing this for years now and i mean their impressive run kind of started in the bug bowl, but it, it magnified as soon as the playoffs started. I mean, swept the Pacers, shut down TJ Warren, who was having his insanity moment. Mm-hmm. They beat the Bucks, like you said, and then uh, they beat the Celtics in six games, probably the most promising young team in the league. And now here they are playing the Lakers. And as for the Lakers, I mean, after not making the playoffs in seven years, seven years and not only to make the playoffs but to make it to the finals and i mean they captured the first seed for the first time in 10 years and this franchise is i I would say this past decade was probably the lowest point for the in franchise history i mean the ironically ironically enough the lakers decade was very similar to the mediocrity of the Yankees, maybe not exactly because the Yankees, you know, were still making it to the playoffs, but the fact that neither one of those teams in a decade, Kush, could not get to either the World Series or the NBA Finals just speaks kind of like volumes because those are two of the teams that you kind of expect to be in the championship conversation year after year after year. But I mean, I would say the, the Lakers had it worse seven years of just not making the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> and- Agreed. I mean, this they had the second most championships in NBA history. And I know for Laker fans, that was a long decade. And for the Lakers organization as well. And now this team has LeBron James. They acquired Anthony Davis in trade in the offseason. And to think that having those two duos were, quote-unquote, underdogs to win the Western Conference, because they weren't the <laughs> favorites. And they steamrolled their way through the Western Conference, including the Blazers, the Rockets, and the Nuggets. And here they are playing the Heat and LeBron's old team in the NBA Finals. So let's talk a little bit about this series. With the Heat first, I mean, first thing for me is that it's going to be a big question to see whether Eric Spolstra wants to play zone defense or man defense because we saw him play zone a lot against the Celtics and it worked. But he's going to need to find an answer in game one. And I think the biggest thing is rebounding, rebounding, and more rebounding. That's the key for the Heat. And, I mean, the perimeter defenders are there, but the interior and the the rebounding are my biggest concerns. And they have so many ball handlers that can beat you in different ways. And the big the big matchup is going to be AD versus Bam Adebayo. I, I think that's going to be the biggest matchup. And for the Lakers, I think they have to play 
the best transition basketball this season just because of how fast-paced the Heat are. And I think they definitely have an advantage when it comes to veteran leaderships who have been to the NBA Finals. I mean, you look at LeBron, Rajon Rondo, Danny Green, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, and you can't forget about J.R. Smith. He's been there too, so. Of course, of course. Basketball IQ off the charts, J.R. Smith. 100%. So, I mean, this series, I mean, we'll, we'll get a little bit into game one, but I, ha- I had the Heat in seven. That was my prediction coming into the finals. Um, the th- Like you said, uh, the big matchup, obviously, is going to be AD versus Bam. Um, when I look at that matchup, I think it's not just a matter of uh, who, who's going to have better games will determine who wins. It's also going to be foul trouble because in this game one, Bam got into foul trouble early, and they had to turn to the bench. And when they turned to the bench, their options were Kelly Olenek, Myers Leonard, but Eric Spolstra make the shocking decision to go with uh, Jones Jr. off the bench. So I, I, that that that's going to be a situation where Eric Spolstra is going to have to tell Bam that you cannot afford to get into foul trouble because you go into foul trouble and we have nobody to match up with AD. Nobody can match up with AD when Bam Adebayo is on the bench and AD's on the floor. Nobody. As much as this team, like I said, has hung their hat on playing defense, nobody can guard AD, man. So I think when you talk about whether or not they're going to play, have to uh, utilize zone, they're going to have to use the hell out of that zone, especially when Bam is on the bench, man, because they're already undersized. And the blueprint has already been set that I know the Lakers are a streaky shooting team from beyond the arc. But damn, I would rather let the Lakers shoot all the threes in the world than let LeBron or AD get to the cup or hit mid ranges on me all game long. I'm like, yeah, bro, I'll take, I'll take, I'd rather LeBron take more threes than he takes layups. So I'm like, yo, I want KCP shooting threes. I want uh, Kuzma shooting threes. I, I, I want this team to become a jump shooting team because I, on the other end, that's what the Heat are a jump shooting team. Tyler Hero can hit a three. Duncan Robinson can hit a three. Jay Crowder can hit a three. Uh, Jimmy Butler can hit a three. Like, this team can hit you from the perimeter. It's just a matter of keeping pace. I think that's going to be the Heat's biggest problem is how can they keep pace with the Lakers? If they cannot – I mean, they jumped out to an early lead in the first quarter, but if they can't continue that energy because it's all about runs – they made their run. The Lakers made their run late in the first quarter, and it just never felt like the Lakers never stopped going on a run. They just continued to go, 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 go. And when the Heat got behind, it was like they just couldn't get back into it. Yeah. And, I mean, just outside of their play, things aren't going to look good for the Heat because they had a lot of injuries just in game one. Goran Dragic right. tore his plantar. And Bam Adebayo looked like he re-injured his shoulder that he injured in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then Jimmy Butler rolled his ankle pretty bad. So it's already looking like a banged-up Heat team for this uh, Lakers to, you know, lick their chops at. But And the funny thing is, is like going into it, obviously, when we talk about better players, we would probably say LeBron, AD are the two best players in this series. But when you look at the three, four, probably five spot, you would probably give that to the Heat. So, I mean, like, the Heat 
it's not to say that they're uh, not capable of winning this series. It's just the odds, like this entire postseason, are heavily stacked against them. Coming into this, even if they were fully healthy, I would still more so lean towards the Lakers in six. But, man, it would be a lot more of a it – w- it, it would be more entertaining, I think, if the, if the Heat was – not as injured as they currently are, as banged up as they currently are. I and mean, credit to the Lakers, then they they suffered through that injury uh, uh, curse last season of, of getting you know their guys injured. LeBron got injured, you know all their dudes got injured, and that prevented them from getting back to the playoffs last year. And for the most part, they've been more so, even though they've gotten some you know nicks here and there, they've been pretty healthy. We talk about the glass man, but the glass man has been keeping it together, He's been keeping it together with band-aids, paper clips, whatever. But <laughs> AD has been staying healthy, and I think if AD continues to be on the court, Lakers are going to win this in six. Yeah, I mean, now with all the injuries, I think the Lakers are going to win it. Originally had the Heat in seven. I really think they could have pulled off the upset, but. Like you said, early game, they were up 13 first quarter. Then they just started playing sloppy, sloppy basketball. Allowed the Lakers to come back, and the Lakers really didn't look back. And I think their success from the three-point helped them tremendously. I mean, they shot almost 40% from three this game. And we don't. the Lakers aren't known, known for their shooting. And I think this lead also allowed Frank Vogel to play Dwight Howard for extended minutes to, to, to allow – to take their rebounding pressure off of AD and it seemed like the heat couldn't get a single rebound this game. (laughs) And it just had a multitude of second chance opportunities. And when you look at the box score, the Lakers had 54 rebounds versus the heat's 36 rebounds in the game. That's an 18 rebound differential that almost guarantees a win right there. And I mean, mean, Pat, Pat Riley said, he said, no boards, no rings. And right now it's funny enough, his team, the heat, they are not getting no boards. And it's looking as if they might not get a, no ring. So, and you uh, want to talk about also the LeBron effect, treatment? That's of course <laughs> we've seen that in of full course. effect. I mean, the the, the Lakers were were geniuses for contacting the league, saying LeBron's not getting enough fouls. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, the Lakers are shooting twenty seven free throws in the first game, and the Heat are only shooting fourteen. Granted, I'm not saying that those fouls shouldn't have been called, but it's just no, a big no. differential. It's just when you get to the finals when you get to the postseason even, you know it's going to be more physical. You expect there to be more physical contact because the referees are going to more so swallow the whistle and let the, you know, let the guys go out there and play. But it's just been kind of weird at times we've seen throughout this postseason that, and again, I'm not, you know, saying the Heat lost because of the refs or, you know, I'm not blaming the refs here. I'm just saying that it's interesting. At some points in the game, you'll notice that the whistles will all of a sudden start to get called more so than than normally you would see in a postseason or especially uh, uh, an NBA Finals game. So just just pay close attention to that because I think if the Heat could maybe get Game Two, all of a sudden, you know what looking what could look like a potential just easy peasy series, all of a sudden becomes a little bit of an even keel a dog fight, but. I think that Eric Spolstra is 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 going to be the key for the Heat to be able to mm-hmm. somehow sneak this series. The guy has been uh, doing a coaching masterclass throughout this entire postseason. 
So if he could somehow, some way, and don't forget, don't forget, people forget. I still remember. I still remember that one time uh, when LeBron was back with the Heat, just like Eric Spoelstra calls timeout and LeBron's walking past him and he just shoulder bumps him out of nowhere. And I'm just thinking like, dang, bro, that's your coach. And it's just, it's just, I don't know. I don't know how LeBron regards Spo, but I, people who always talk about how LeBron's never played for a great coach, I, I always said like nobody gave, gives Eric Spoelstra enough credit. I think he's obviously giving the credit that he's rightfully deserved after this season, but if he somehow some like because LeBron is a coach on the floor, and everybody kind of you know knows that by nature, so it'll be interesting to see how Spo is going to try and put his team in a position to sort of go a chess match with LeBron and and try to figure out how he can put his team in the best position in order to checkmate LeBron, which is not easy because. Like I said, LeBron is a coach on the floor, and he is always going to make the right basketball play. Not always the the the, the play that you know fans will want him to make, but he's going to make the right play that is you know the, the 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 right play in order to help the team. Not just you know necessarily always about you know his stats or whatever. But I just think that the Heat have to make it a dogfight. They can't allow themselves to get down by fifteen twenty and expect themselves to get any games this series. They have to go tit for tat. They have to make sure that they keep pace with the Lakers. If they keep pace, similar situation with what we saw in that first round between OKC and Houston, then all of a sudden the pressure put, gets put on the Lakers. Yeah, it will be interesting. But I think the biggest adjustment that Spolstra may make, which might sound crazy, but I think if Bam Adebayo is healthy and he's going to be playing – I think you got to play Kelly Olynyk more. I think just to have a body down there yeah, to, to box out and help out on the boards. Cause I mean, you look at it, Iggy could not hold his own against Dwight or against AD and really Bam was put in a shitty situation where he's battling these two guys. And a lot of people forget Bam is only six ten going up against these two seven footers and athletic seven footers at that as well too. So and and if there's no Bam, I mean, the Heat will need either Olenek or Myros Leonard to step up in a big way. And maybe we even see old man Udonis Haslam get some minutes. I doubt UD, it. UD, UD. But, I mean, nah, I think this the, 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 it's going to be hard because this team lacks an interior backup big man. That And, and I think that's going to hurt them the most if Bam is out. And you know what's crazy? <laughs> they traded him away. But you know who they could really use right now? Like yeah, they really could. They could really use the sound white side right now. <laughs> because man, if they still had the sound white side, they wouldn't feel as as, as so heavily reliant on Bam. But you know, hindsight twenty twenty. Will Bam be Bam <laughs> if they still have white side? It'll be interesting. That's very true. All right, well, that's going to wrap up this episode. Appreciate y'all for listening. As always, make sure you check us out on our social medias. It's uh, on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds on Instagram, the nosebleeds on Facebook, the nosebleeds podcast. That's K N O W S bleeds. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, feel free to give us a five star review. Be very, very generous of you. Help us out. Other than that, any last words, Corey? I'm just really excited, man, because October is just seeing like it's going to be the month of sports. So I'm hoping that it's a it's a safe 
hopefully, I know we got off to a shaky start, but I'm hoping that it's for the most part a safe COVID free sports month that everybody can sit back, kick up and enjoy. Enjoy the NBA finals, enjoy the MLB postseason and enjoy the rest of the NFL season. Other than that, we are out. Deuces.